Welcome. Here at The Bridge Church, we exist to help you connect to God, grow with family, and serve our city. We hope today's message will allow you to grow deeper in your connection to God. Enjoy the message. Let's pray. How can we say things about a holy God? How can we even dare to just put ourselves in a position to talk about you? How can we stand before men and talk about the creator of the world? It must be that you've given us a word from heaven. And we are stewards of your words and you have something to say to us and your word speaks and you God have brought us here today not just to read from a book but you have brought us here today because you have something to say to us God and we have come here not to hear more ideas or not for wise fables, but we truly have come here for a word from our God, from the Lord, our God. And this is miraculous that you'd speak. It is miraculous that you allow frail, flawed men to steward your words. It's miraculous that you let us hear your words. So in light of that, God, make me a good steward today. Make me a faithful steward of your words and make this room faithful listeners and hearers, hearers that not want their ears tickled for entertainment, but they want to be doers and long for the obedience to live for a father that loves them because they know where there is obedience, there is blessing. And they want to be with their father and they want to chase after you, God. And so God, this is not a moment for men. This is your time. And so we await you we expect from you. We long for you. And it is your presence that will make the difference in this moment. So we long for you, God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. You know, there are sometimes things in an atmosphere, things that you cannot see, but there are sometimes things you can feel, pressures that are around you, that are pulling on you. And in our culture, in our city, and even in our culture, in our country, there is this invisible pressure, a pressure on you, pushing you, and you may not notice it sometimes. You may not realize how intense it is. Generations ago, there was a time 
that when you worked, you worked because you wanted to eat. And you worked because you wanted shelter. And you worked because you wanted to feed the family that you had. That's how it was for my grandfather. And that's how it was for his father. You worked because you wanted provision. But now, in this culture, the last two or three generations, work has come, become something so much different than just provision. It's something much deeper than just getting a nice place for your family. With the breakdown of the family, there was a time when your fulfillment would come from being a brother, being a sister, being a mom, and being a dad. But now, you're pressured to find fulfillment in your work, to find your identity in your work, and to be something. And so when you get on the plane, you feel like you're somebody when you say you're a singer or a lawyer or a doctor, and there's something inside of you that wants to hide when you're not working in the environment you feel like you ought to work. Work is now identity, and it is no longer about provision. And it's pressuring you. It's pressuring you. It's working on you. And the crazy thing is, it's hard to find work. It's just hard to work. Then what's harder is to find enough work. Enough work to feed you and your potential family. But deeper than that, to find fulfilling work. And there is almost a cultural verse. Find what you love and do it and it'll be like you're not working at all. And you would almost think Jesus said that. But I'm telling you, the pressure you feel is really an illusion. Because it wasn't always this way. You can track back to your ancestry and find, if you ask them, do you like what you do? That would have been comical. This pressure that you have, it goes so deep. The work underneath the work is identity and fulfillment. And far too many of us work from a place of fear. Fear of missing out. Fear of not being significant. Fear of not mattering, of not being better than your parents or being better than what you first dreamed that you should have been as a young child. You fear of missing out. And even as a parent, you fear for your children of not making it. You have all these fears that drive you and they take your attention and they capture your mind. And that is the deeper work underneath the work. And interestingly enough, when fear is driving you, when fear is at your core, when you can't miss it, when you gotta be enough, 
your mind goes to the edges and you begin to only think about the consequences of failing. And that's what drives you to not fail, to not miss it. And when your mind and your heart lives on the edges, you start living with an inward focus. I mean, by way of analogy, as I walk around this platform, I can look at you. I can look up. I can look around. But the closer I get to the edge, I've got to stop looking at you. And I've got to start looking down so that I don't fall. In the same way, when I have my mind focused on something grander than myself, something bigger than failing, well, then my mind and my heart, they can focus on people and they can focus on God. And this is crazy. God has never called us to work from fear, but he's called us to be driven by faith and to work from a place where we're resting in him and not constantly thinking about ourselves, constantly dreaming of what should and could be. And when you're driven, when you have to be, what you end up doing is you trade in peace for progress. And you've got to be the best. You've got to be. And it crushes you. And you go online and you say, why are they making it? Why are they better? What makes them so special? And it works on you. You say, how do I know? I feel the pressure myself. And it's hard to turn off. It's hard to slow down. It's hard to gear down when you work from a place of fear. A place of fear of missing it. And this is why when I come home, my kids are like, Daddy, why are you talking about church? Why are you still talking about church? My wife will be like, honey, you're here, but you're not here. Your body is here, but your mind, it's still going. And in me, I keep thinking, what else can I do? What else can I do? Because in this city, it's this intense rat race, and there's someone else working harder, and there's something else I could possibly do. And here's what I'm discovering in my walk with God. There is more to do. The work isn't done. And do I have enough faith to limit myself when there's more work to do? When I could be more? Do I have enough faith to limit myself and to leave space for him? See, when you are driven by progress, when you are driven by success, when you are driven by those things, let me tell you, it, it, it's a proving ground. And what we said in all of our other weeks is that the culture of New York City is prove yourself. Prove yourself to yourself and to others. And you say you're the best, show me. But what I pray you realize today, I pray you feel today, is that the proving ground is actually a plantation. And what's actually happening, 
is you are a slave to your success. Because you're a slave when you can't say no. You're a slave when you can't put it down. You're a slave. And you are being driven to success when God calls you and longs to drive you to him. And it is so good having the scriptures. It's so amazing that God wants to talk to us. He does not only design, he guides And his word is intended for us to live as we've been intended. Live as you've been designed. And you were not designed to be driven Monday through Sunday, waking up, going down, driving yourself and burning yourself out. Because in the scriptures, God says, listen, you should have a Sabbath because I have a Sabbath. I rested and you are called to rest. And he gives us this imagery of having this finished work. And we talked earlier about how we can rest in his finished work. And the reason why we get that entry is because of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We get to enter into his finished work. But this is the crazy thing. We are saved but we have the tendency of slaves. We still have an incarcerated mind. We have been institutionalized, and Sabbath sets us free. Deuteronomy, the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 5. It's amazing. This is a picture of the Exodus, is all these slaves being set free. Not after 20 years, 400 years. Fathers, 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 father was a slave. Slavery is all I know. Work is all I know. And I told you this before. Slaves don't get sick. There's no medicine for a slave. If you stop working, you have just put down your death sentence. And so this was a culture they had for hundreds of years. It's all they knew. And look what the Lord tells these slaves. Look what he tells them in Deuteronomy. He says, you shall remember you what? You were a slave. Don't forget you were a slave in the land of Egypt. And the Lord your God brought you out of there with a mighty hand and outstretched arm. And this is crazy. This is his reason. He says, therefore, the Lord God commanded you to keep the Sabbath. It's crazy. He says, you were a slave. You remember that? You remember all that working? Now, keep the Sabbath because just a while ago you were driven by work and I want you to enter into rest. And he is saying that Sabbath is emancipation. Sabbath is freedom. Sabbath is saying there's no more Pharaoh driving you, but I'm driving you now, and you can rest in me. (laughs) It's funny. I preached a sermon one time, and I was talking about slaves. Somebody said, don't use that word. I said, why not? They said, that word has historical connotations. 
He's like, slavery in America is true. I made a mistake the other night when the whole Alton Sterling thing happened and Philandro Castile thing happened. I made a mistake. I decided that that night, that a night I couldn't go to sleep, I decided that was the night I wanted to watch 12 Years a Slave. Don't ask me why. I couldn't go to sleep. I was like, I need to watch a movie. By midtown, I was ready to burn New York City down. (laughs) There was an amazing scene in that movie. One of the women had done a bunch of bales of hay. And if you remember in the movie, he, the master weighs it. And the amount wasn't as much as the amount the week before or the day before. And so he sends her out and he whips her so that she would remember you need to keep up the work to not get beat. And her back is bruised and she is destroyed. And you think of slavery and you think of the physical slavery, but spiritually, your soul, many of you, your soul, you feel the weight of success and you destroy yourself because you're not enough and you can't keep up and you're not putting in enough work like everybody else. Oh, slave is a very appropriate word. It may not be physical, but the mental slavery is intense. And some of you feel it. Some of you, you can't shake it. But there's freedom. It's crazy. So in Deuteronomy, he gives us this picture. And God begins to institute laws to these former slaves And he has these laws to teach them how to live. And in teaching them how to live, he does things like have a tithe so that they would trust him financially. But he puts in this law, this law of gleaning. And I want you to look at a couple verses. You don't have to go there in your Bibles. We'll have them up on the screen because I want you to go to a verse later. But if you look in Leviticus chapter 19. Leviticus chapter 19, there's this incredible picture of gleaning. He says in Leviticus 19, when you reap the harvest of your land, you shall not reap your field right up to its edge. Neither shall you gather the gleanings after your harvest. Verse 10, and you shall not strip your vineyard bare. Neither shall you gather the fallen grapes of your vineyard. You shall leave them for the poor and the sojourner. I am the Lord, your God. The last part of that verse, you see that the Lord instituted where there would be farmers and having fields, that the very edges, the margins of their crops were intended to be left for the poor. Interestingly enough, you see an economic system of justice that God institutes in the Old Testament so that people would not 
perpetually live in poverty. We'll talk about that another time, but peep that. (laughs) So God set it up where these poor farmers who used to be slaves and come from a slave mentality now have to look at work and tell themselves no. Now realize that these are poor people. And every vineyard picked, every sheaf that you would get, that was money. And what he's really saying is, leave money on the table. There's a gig you can get. Say no for me. Thought I'd bring it home for some of y'all out there. Look at the imagery there. You shall not reap to the edge. God instituted a limit to the work that they had. But you got to understand, these were people, they didn't have refrigerators. Famine was a real thing. You see, we don't understand Sabbath because we grew up having weekends. So we don't understand how dope it is to have a day off. We're just used to that. You know, and that's the way the culture works. Monday is whack, Monday. It's Tuesday, though. Wednesday, hump day. It's Thursday, y'all. It's Friday. It's Friday night. It's Saturday. It's Saturday. It's Sunday. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, God. It's Sunday. It's Monday again. It's Monday. We're so conditioned to see that you can have two days off that you don't see the emancipation they saw in that. They saw, wow, there's a law to tell us not to work. There's a law to show us what limit we should have on the work we have. But don't get caught up in the law underneath tithing, underneath Sabbath, underneath the gleaning and the edges is trust. He's not saying stop to rest your body. He's saying stop to rest your soul in me. Trust me, this is deeper than the poor. This is about me and you. I'm trying to limit you from killing yourself because there's a Pharaoh working on your mind and it's killing you. It's driving you. It's working on you. And you scroll and scroll and scroll, compare, scroll and scroll and scroll, compare, scroll and scroll, and you compare, and you drive yourself, and you ask yourself, why am I not more? And it's almost illegal in your soul to limit yourself. I'm actually not talking about just putting in physical work. I'm talking about how things are working on your mind and your heart. And the rest for your soul. Why should they limit yourself at the end? I'm the Lord, your God. I'm your God. I'm your God. I will provide for you. The next verse, it's, it's insane. 
He says, when you reap your harvest, Deuteronomy 24, 19, when you reap your harvest in your field and forget a sheaf in the field, peep this, they finished the work of the day. They left the edges. So I put a limit on it. But while he's doing the sheaf, he's walking away, going home. And as he goes home, he peeps the fact that he left some right there in the middle, not on the edges. And he says, when you reap your harvest in your field, forget a sheaf in the field, you shall not go back to get it. It shall be for the sojourner, the fatherless, and the widow. Leave some of the work that you could do. He says, that the Lord, your God, may bless you in all the work of your hands. That don't make no sense. Leave work I could do, and you'll bless the work that I didn't do? Wait, hold on, hold on. You want me to clock out knowing there's more I could do, but you'll multiply it, and you'll bless it, because I'm going to trust you. What I'm telling you are words from God because people don't tell you this stuff. People say work into the margins. People say work into the night. People say there's someone outworking you right now. People say you got to give your best give it all, sacrifice everything. People say your weekends aren't yours anymore. People say drive yourself till you can't drive yourself anymore. People say it's worth the sacrifice to be the best. You got to beat the best. People say that, but God says leave some work. God says leave some work. God says leave some work. God. We're talking about God here. We're talking about the creator of the world who designed you and knows you. Because the scariest thing is you could actually end up being a success. (laughs) That would be one of the worst things for some of us. Because your slavery would only increase. You think success is tough trying to get it. Success is crazy trying to keep it. And he says, I'm better. (laughs) Isn't that deep? I'm better than success. This was an incredible picture of trust for them. God, right now, as I preach this sermon, is calling you to a deeper place of trust right now. He's calling you to a deeper place of trust right now. Jesus gives us this picture in Matthew 6. And we have heard this verse so much Isn't it crazy how verses just become like blase, like, you know what I'm saying, seek the kingdom, you know what I mean? Yeah. (laughs) Like the word of God gets like old news. So let me just, I don't know if I can make it sound dope, but I'm going to just read it. Verse 31, 
Jesus, Jesus, the Son of God, the Son of God, the Son of Man, says in verse 31, don't be anxious. Don't worry. Stop letting your mind go to the consequences. Don't worry about failing. Don't worry about being single. Don't worry about provision. Don't worry. Stop worrying. Don't worry. Son of God said this. God's child said this. Don't worry. Stop worrying. What do I sound like when I worry? What am I going to eat? What am I going to drink? What am I going to wear? No, no, we sound like, who am I going to be? How am I going to be the best? When am I going to matter? When will people notice me? When will it be enough? When's my time? When's my breakthrough? When will I be noticed? When will people start liking what I put out there? When? How? Who? Don't be afraid. Don't be anxious. Don't let your mind go to the edges. Why? He says in verse 32, for the Gentiles seek after all these things. Well, the word Gentile there, when you first hear that, you think irreligious person, non-religious person. I go to church. They don't go to church. I go to church. So I'm different. They Gentiles. But Gentiles were what you would consider pagans. And pagans worshipped God. They just worshipped the wrong God. Oh, they worshipped the Baals and the Asherahs and Jupiter and Zeus. They worshipped all types of gods. And what they would do is they would sacrifice to their idol. They would take the best of their income and they would sacrifice it to that idol to get what they needed. And they would, the word seek there, they would run after those things. They would strive after those things. And they would say, if I can just put this lamb up here and sacrifice it to the Baal God, he will increase my crops so that I can be the best farmer of the land. So let me just sacrifice all I have to this idol. Oh, they were seeking God. They were just seeking the wrong God. Oh, they were worshiping, but they were worshiping the wrong God. They seek after these things. They strive and run after these things. They are driven by those things. And your heavenly Father knows you need them. He knows you long for things. He knows how you've defined success. He knows what you want. He knows what's driving you. He knows. He knows. He knows. He knows. He is aware. He's not blind. 
He knows because he designed you and he gave you those desires and he gave you those gifts. He knows. And what's crazy is he says, your heavenly father knows you need them. He knows what you need and he knows what you don't need. And he says in the next verse, But seek first. Notice the word is the same there. Seek, run after, strive, give everything. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. That word added could be given to you. Given to you as a gift. God is A father, not a slave master. God longs for you to be with him. And he has instituted laws. He instituted the Sabbath and tithe just so that you would legislate places in your life to be with him. But wouldn't it be crazy, y'all? Wouldn't it be crazy if you made your slave to a success that a father wants to give to you? Wouldn't it be crazy if you gave everything for success and God is like, I'll give you success on my terms. He says, I'll add it to you. I'll give it to you. And maybe the way we see the hustle in this city Maybe we've let the hustle of the city define our lives just a bit too much. Maybe we've been trading in peace for progress so long that we think this is just the way that it is. And this is the life I'll always have. And you have a decision to make whether you are going to trust him and follow the culture of this city, the proving ground of this city, or whether you will live a life of freedom. You see, someone or something will set the limits of your life. And who will it be? When I was preparing this sermon, I thought to myself, I'm going to make this super practical so that you can set your schedule so that you can have a day off. I take Fridays off. This is not my day off. I'm working, praise God. I take Fridays off. I took a whole month off. And this is what I've realized. I tried to start the day with just going to the gym and chilling. And I tried to start my day with just kind of watching highlights, beyond highlights of sports. And I I said to myself, I'm resting. But I started to realize that I cannot tell you about rest by talking about chronology and time alone. 
Rest begins with worship. It truly is the habit of creating a lifestyle of private worship. And God instituted a day that you would worship him, that you would set your work aside and just worship. And that doesn't mean you always have to have the music on or read your Bible throughout the entire day. But he's saying by getting away from your work, you can set your mind and your heart aside to just rest in me. I cannot start resting without cultivating a heart of worship. Man, some of the greatest energy you are giving in your life right now is worship already. And when we are in this room and we are singing about Jesus being the center of it all, I'm crying out to tell myself my story again. Jesus is the center. Jesus is the center of my life. He's the center of it all. God, be the center of my life. And I am not just singing, I am preaching to myself. Because I forget, I don't prove myself as a past incident. That's the culture of my soul. I'm always trying to prove myself to myself. And the way that I cut through that slavery is freedom in worship. Because where the Spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom. And I feel his presence. And he reminds me who I am. And he reminds me whose I am. And I've got a father that knows me. And that boss may try to drive me, but my father can give me what he has. And I pray that you would live free. I pray you would cut the cords of this city. The cords that have woven so deeply into your heart. Your dream is great. God is greater. And your dream is misguided if the Lord God is not at the center of it. Imagine worshiping the dream and not the giver of dreams. And I pray you would live free. I pray you would live free. This is not just a small pressure. This is weighing on many of you. And I want that pressure. I want you to learn how to fight it in worship. We're going to have a time of prayer here on the side. But why leave and be the same? Why leave this room and be the same? I prayed that you would go over here to the side and ask for help. Ask God to, to speak in to how much you've been driven and how hard it is to let go. 
I pray you would experience deep rest. I pray you would cut the cord of this city in comparison. I pray you'd be free. Some of you are so, so lonely right now because you're working so hard. You're working so hard. And God wants you to be with him. God has called you to intimacy. He's called you to intimacy. Father, how awesome is that word to call you Father. How awesome is it to know that I am yours and you are mine. You are the great God. Lord, I just lift up this church and I lift up those that are here and I pray, God, that that there would be a freedom, a freedom they institute in their own life. God, I pray that they would be able to put the phone down, that they would be able to put work down and they would fix their eyes on you and you would capture their hearts again. Capture our minds again. God, stir in us, stir in us such deep intimacy, such a deep affection that we would never go back Never go back to a life of being driven by something that doesn't love us, someone that doesn't love us. And I pray that this room would rest, that we'd rest in you. It's not enough to be everything I've dreamed. It's enough to know you and to make you known. God, I pray that for everyone that has a dream and for everyone that longs for success, I pray that they would admit to themselves that they are a worshiper and success has taken a space of worship in their life. I pray that there would be this confession and you would give such sweet freedom and you would take your rightful place as the Lord God. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. We hope you've been encouraged by this message. We'd love to hear how God used this sermon to speak to you. Please take a minute to email us your story. Our email address is info at bridgechurchnyc.com. And you can also find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram by using at bridgechurchnyc or visit our website, bridgechurchnyc.com. Thanks again for listening to this week's message.